Welcome to Bookish. I'm Ebony Haywood, and let's welcome today's guest author. This is Dr. Natalie Pedahoff, and I'm excited to have her. She is the author of Empathy and Action. How are you doing, Dr. Natalie? Great on a Saturday. Thank you for having me. I know it's, and you know what? In California, it's a lovely. Well, actually, where I am. It's over 100 degrees right now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. where I am, it's hot, but more muggy than hot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We have the dry heat, you have the moist heat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And neither are that comfortable, but hey, I'm not complaining. Same here. I like that no complaining attitude. That's the best way to go. Dr. Natalie, um, well, you know what? Tell us a little bit uh, about your book empathy in action. What was kind of the impetus? I'm going a little off script here, Dr. Natalie, but just to kind of give us an idea of like the impetus of the book and what it's about. So it's about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's really hard to just say one thing, but I think when Tony and I sat down to really look at employee and customer experience, which is kind of what we do every day, there was a bigger conversation. And the bigger conversation I think was, a couple of things. One is that companies really don't see an experience from the customer or the employee's point of view. And like a kind of a pointing case is the great resignation. Like employees said, you know what, this doesn't really work for me. I'm kind of like out of here. And I think that also happened with a lot of customers, especially, you know, push comes to shove and you're not providing a great experience. And, and during COVID, we all had to like readjust our lives and we shopped where we got great experiences. And I think there's a paradigm that's, you know, uh, kind of a tipping point, mm -hmm. if you will, about what people are willing to tolerate, where people uh, are going to spend their time and energy. And I think that's kind of the zeitgeist, if you will, of what the book is really about is where are we as a society with respect to how we treat each other, with respect to how companies treat their customers and employees? And then part of it is, you know, we've, as companies, we've always said, oh, we're going to offer these great experiences, but really taking a deep look at, do you? And if you really realize that you don't, and when, when we have people look at it, they are like, oh my God, this is awful. We should stop this right now. And what, what do we do, right? right? Then you start to see there's a lot of things that you would you would do differently. Mm, okay, so let's, let's kind of dive into this a little deeper. Um, you say companies that are company-centric are operating backwards. Why is that? Well, so when you think about it, if you had a, if you and I were just having a conversation and the whole conversation was about me, and I didn't get to know you and I didn't know what was important to you and I wasn't really listening and I turned everything you said into something about me. <laughs> I've actually had those covered. Yes. <laughs> we know those people, right? It's kind of like, ooh, I don't really want to talk to you anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's kind of without realizing it, that's kind of what companies are doing is they're sitting in the seat of I don't know, Wall Street investors, what the business might think is great for the customer and employee. And they, and they do employee surveys. And I don't know how honest employees or customers really are. And there's a whole debate about NPS and, you know, would you recommend us? The reality is, did you, um, right? And then how do you measure all that? So NPS is like that elusive measurement. And what does it really mean? Um, so I think that, you know, like if you look at studies that places like Forrester or Bain have done, and they ask 
you know, companies, do you think you provide a great experience? And they're like, oh yes, 80% of us, we, we do. And then you ask customers and employees, the statistics are more like 20%. So there's a gap, there's a large gap, right? And so when you start to really see that gap, you have to start to ask yourself. And, and I've been in studying this, you know, human behavior experiences for a long time. And those statistics really haven't changed very much at all, if at all. And then in some, during some particular parts of time, they've gone backwards. So, you know, to me, I mean, having been a former rocket scientist, like asking questions Mm -hmm. is one of the most interesting things. And then being curious about what you find when you go and do that research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was talking to a marketing expert, I think maybe two years ago. And um, he was saying that he was, he did a few startups but they would all what what the customer really valued was always different than what they thought. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and what's fascinating is that you could do market research and you could get 12 people in a room and you could ask them questions, right? Mm-hmm. But even when that happens, that kind of market research, what I found and I used to work for a big PR company that did market research, you're still asking from your point of view. So let's go back to the personal relationships, right? So let's say you and I are out to lunch and we're talking and you're sharing something with me and I'm sharing something with you. And we're both listening to each other. And we're both thinking about, wow, I really like this person. I really want this friendship to grow. I want to be able to contribute to your life and to the conversation. So I'm not listening to like how, what I would say based on what I care about, I'm listening from your perspective and what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And so we have four empathy pillars. The first one is listen from Mm -hmm. the other person's point of view. So that would be in the case of companies, what do customers really think about their experiences with you? What do employees really think? Right. And then there's this whole, like, especially in inside of companies, psychological safety and do people tell the truth, but that's a, that's a whole other topic. And then once you start to really see what their perspective is, then you start to realize, oh, so when we offer you, let's say a chat bot on a website and it gives you canned responses and you can't get what you want, right? What I think happens for companies is people in companies buy into this thing that we're going to provide or this experience that we've designed is going to be great, right? Because some technology companies sold us a chat bot. But then if you're a person, which we all are, and you go shopping online, or you call a company and you have to push, you know, the IVR button, the press one for press 64 for <laughs> press 93. Four, right. And you're like, I don't know, I have to listen to the whole thing again. And then you're just like, you know what, <laughs> forget about it. I wanted to return something that was $32. And it just ain't worth my time. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's those kind of real, like when you put yourself in the shoes, right? And see the world through that customer's eyes. And you go, Oh my God, that's awful. Why do we do it that way? Right. And get really curious about why, right? What technology are we using? What, what processes are we using? And one of the things like everybody always says, well, okay, now, well, how do I fix this? And I'm like, you need to see the world through somebody else's eyes. And that is a very reflective place and it has to be purposeful. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, let's let's talk a little bit more about empathy. Is what you're really talking about now, and I am. Um, how? Why do you believe empathy is the next frontier in business? And I think you've started to answer this question. So, if I'm in business, mm -hmm. I have two assets. I have employees who are there to create the products and services that I deliver. Right. And so it doesn't matter if you're a manufacturing company, if you're uh, a farmer, it doesn't matter what exactly that you do. Right. But you need people to help you deliver those things. So and then you have customers who are the people who buy the things that the employees create, the products and services. Now, what if you had no employees and no customers? Mm -hmm. mm, you wouldn't have a business. Right. What's interesting is when I really looked into it. From a CFO's point of view, neither asset is recorded as a value in the PL. Wow. Mm. Now, sales are recorded, recruiting costs are recorded, but the actual value of what that person brings to the table is not really measured. And so, as a result, it's my thought that sometimes companies make decisions. And if you go, so there's a, a really fantastic um, documentary series on the History Channel called The Titans Who Built America. Um, and I, I mostly like it, except they don't have a lot of women in that series. So, and there were women back yeah. then. Um, but anyways, <laughs> dear History Channel, I'd like to do a show with Ebony on yeah. the ladies who built America. We did um, exist back then, ladies and gentlemen. Women did exist. <laughs> We did. And we contributed a lot. Yes. Um, but I digress. So what I looked at was the first industrial revolution. And granted, there we went from an agrarian society, farmers, and then we went to this massive industrial, you know, production, manufacturing, and steel got created and um, cars and airplanes. And the series just does a fantastic job of looking at a point in time and the way that businesses were run. So when you look at that historical footprint, what was most important to the leaders then was efficiency at all costs. Mm. And oftentimes people were not treated very well. They were working 14 to 12, 12 to 14 hours. You couldn't go to the bathroom. And that's really where unions came from because people didn't like the way they were treated. So you look at that historical footprint and even though times have changed and things have evolved, we still come at business from a very company-centric efficiency and effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is if, if you really want to transform your business, think about what would be most efficient and most effective from the customer and employee's point of view. So for instance, call up a company. Actually, I don't really want to call them. I want to trust that chat bot, right? That's, or, you know, the, the SMS, but I, I kind of mostly don't because right. I'm not really sure if I'm really getting the right answer. And if anybody there, if it will be recorded so that when I go back to them, they'll have note of what we discussed, right? In the chat, what we typed in. So I call and, you know, it's a long IVR process and it's very confusing. And so truthfully, customers want a really short interaction. Companies also want a really short interaction. And the reason why is because it costs them a lot of money. The people who answer the phones are the most expensive part of that operation besides the technology. Hmm. So you have the same metric, average handle time, or something called first contact resolution, which means I only have to reach out to you once 
and I get my things solved. Mm -hmm. My question, my, you know, it's something's broke. I need it fixed. I only have to talk to you once. So both of those metrics, we, we only want to call once the company only wants us to call once average handle time. We don't want to be on the phone with you long. We just want to be able to get what we need done, done. Right. And the company doesn't either. So you have the same types of metrics, but the experience that's delivered is very, very different. When you look at what is the experience that a company wants, which is get you off the phone, regardless of whether you really got what you needed or, you know, what is that experience from the customer's point of view? So when you start to shift every single thing that you do, right, then you start to see, well, we're really not considering the two most important assets that we have on our books mm -hmm. and what their perspective is. And when we do that, now we're hurting our business. And I've had a lot of people say, well, does this mean I have to spend a lot more money, but in the end it'll be better. And I'm like, no, actually, you don't have to spend a lot more money and you will get short-term gains and long-term gains because the immediate customer is probably going to buy from you in the next day or week or month. And long-term, that's really how you make money is customer lifetime value is, you know, you shop at that place, you have a good experience. You shop at that place, you have a good experience. Five years later, you shop at the place, you have a good experience. Guess what? We go back to people, to companies that we have a good interaction with. And when we don't, then, you know, we move on. Mm, that's actually a, a, a really good point because the empathy does lead to loyalty. When you can empathize with your people, yeah, they become more loyal. That's, that's great. That. Well, so the circle is see the world through someone else's point of view. What does that do? It creates a a bond and trust, right? Mm -hmm. It creates a willingness to want to interact again, right? Mm -hmm. So now we've interacted a little bit. This is a cool conversation. We're like, yeah, hey, I'd love to have lunch with you, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if we really continue that pattern, now we're at the place where we create that loyalty and the loyalty is where the repeat business really comes from. Mm. So Dr. Natalie, um, would this empathy with business would this help the great resignation? Well, let's see. Why are people quitting? <laughs> they're quitting because it does not feel good to be there. Mm -hmm. So they're paid too low. They're, they don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. They don't. And another really thing. So the biggest compliment that I have had to date um, about the book is my 24 year old nephew, who I love dearly, who is not he doesn't talk a lot. Right. So, and he doesn't text me a lot. Right. If I text him, he'll text me back. Right. And we're friends on Facebook and, you know, we have a fabulous time when we're together, but he's not very demonstrative. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he texts me last night, he's coming home on a flight from Miami and he goes, Hey, I read your book. It's actually good. Wow. Wow. Like, oh my gosh. Like Nick, that's really amazing. Like, <laughs> thank you. Like a 24 year old. And, and I said, what, hit home for you. And he goes, well, I love the cartoons. They're really funny because, but sad because those things really happen. And he said, being in the tech world, I see this all the time. And my friends who are in are artists see this stuff all the time. And so I think part of what happens, and I think it's an interesting conundrum. So part of empathy is the willingness to actively listen, mm -hmm. not listen, 
listen to respond, but actually take in the feedback. And so I think what happens with the great resignation is that people have said, I'm paid too low. I don't like my working conditions. And what happens is instead of employers hearing that as the canary in the coal mine, yeah, they hear it as I'm complaining. I don't like this. And for a long time, what I've heard a lot of leaders say, because I've interface with a lot of leaders and led a lot of organizational change. And they'll say things like, well, you know, there's 50 people that are lined up behind them to get this job. So if they don't like it, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And so, but oops. Right. So we have, I mean, a lot, you know, my blessings to anyone who lost someone during COVID or got sick. It's a very serious, um, very serious time in the history of the planet. I would say that there are some amazing things that have happened from it. And part of it was it created a cause for pause Mm -hmm. and we all got to slow down a little bit or a lot and we got to change our lifestyles and we got to see what was really important. And I think what happened to a lot of people just said, you know what, this is not meeting what I need from life. And as a result, people left jobs mm-hmm. and people decided, you know what, I'm going to retire or I'm going to quit. And I was just at a restaurant and we're trying to get seated and there's all these empty tables mm-hmm. and we're like, why can't you see this? And like, we have no servers and we don't have enough cooks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard for companies to change? Because uh, just like you said, I, I hear a lot now that businesses are calling their people back into the office. Um, because, because they're resisting this transition to remote work. They want to go back to the way things were, and we got to keep it in the brick and mortar. And why is that so hard for companies? So think about this. Think about the fact that you might like, and I'm, I'm making a guess here, a washboard stomach, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've been dreaming about that my whole life. Right? <laughs> so I want that, right? So let's presume that the company goes, oh my gosh, what we've been doing makes absolutely no sense. We really want to change this, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they've accepted this new paradigm. They're seeing the world through their customer employees' eyes. Now, as humans, we have to change our behavior. Behavior change is really difficult because even though I really, really, really want to look fantastic in my swimsuit, Will I do the necessary sit-ups or strength training with my trainer to get there? And there's a little tiny part of your brain called the amygdala. Mm -hmm. And it's the part that looks at something and says, is this a lion, a tiger, or a bear? And if there's some threat or some resistance that gets created as part of being a human being, we don't do it. And so part of it is, I think really, really, I go back to, you really have to understand what I'm talking about. Like, this is a really huge change in the way that leaders think and to step out of, because part of it is because companies have been so successful doing it this way. It's hard to say, you know what, we're just going to throw out the recipe and just start all over. Cause I had one guy who said, Nat, you know, I've been doing, I've been CEO of companies longer than you've, you know, been working. I'm like, okay. Um, and what I'm trying to say, like someone said, if there was a legacy that you could leave, my legacy would be that I was one of the people who started talking about this empathy thing, Mm -hmm. this ability to see the world through other people's eyes and be remembered as someone who said, 
this is the canary in the coal mine. It's important. You need to see it. You need to feel it. Like you need to get a visceral feel for this and then, you know, take it from there. Right. Wow. So why do you think business leaders need to model changes, change for the world? So it's, what was really interesting, I'll go back to the History Channel, is during uh, the Second World War, um, government needed the titans of industry to actually manufacture and shore up the United States so that we could win that war. Mm -hmm. And I think that we don't realize how important business is to running the country. Mm. And so I think part of this is that the leadership model, right? So we spend a great deal of time, most of us at work, Mm -hmm. right? Or working. And so what we see modeled, it becomes, um, becomes how we take action. And um, there's a a woman, Amy, who wrote uh, a lot about psychological safety, and we quote her in the book. And if it's not psychologically safe, like if you don't see people modeling this behavior, being open to feedback, thanking people for feedback, not admonishing them, not making them um, somehow uh, vulnerable to some repercussion. If, If leaders are not modeling this behavior, then what you kind of teach your employees is it we're, we're going to say that we want to be honest, but we really don't want to know. We really don't want to hear your feedback. And, and especially there's cultures that I've been in that are not invented here. Like you'll make a suggestion. They're like, yeah, that's not how we do it here. Mm. Okay. Got it. Mm. So what does that do when you hear that? You're like, yeah, shut down. Yeah. Shut down. I'm not going to share. And then I'm not going to embarrass myself again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's, I'm kind of, um, I, I'm really feeling what you're saying, Dr. Natalie. Cause I, I see like, that <laughs> in my, in my own work workspace where it's, I feel like this is not just my own workspace. Um, and, and I work at a school, um, primarily and, I feel like in a lot of different businesses since COVID, we really see our, how do you say, employers to colors Mm -hmm. and how they really feel about the value of what we do and what we bring to the table. And it really has become this point of um, tension between employer an employee, and that just trickles down to the customer experience. It just affects everything. Well, in, in your case, your the your customer are students. Yes, that is the future. Yes, right. So how you feel? So it must be difficult. I'm only imagining. My my mom was a teacher, and I, I did a little teaching at UCLA. If you don't feel good about mm-hmm. being there, and you don't feel respected and acknowledged and heard, now you have to go in do this whole, like, okay, now I'm going to be like, I'm going to put on my happy face. Hi kids. Right. Today we're going to learn about whatever that is. Right. But you're a human being. So it's very, it gets, it's tiresome. There's a lot of cognitive burden that employees are carrying around because, you know, and, and for any of us who face a customer, so it could be, if you're working in government, 
Um, those could be citizens, right? If you're a teacher, it could be your students. If, if you're in corporate America, it's customers and prospects. So how do you take that internal angst that you're feeling and then put on the happy face and how long can you do that? Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. And feel right. Cause otherwise, cause I, you know, I, I, I've talked to a lot of people where they wake up and every morning they're like dreading something about going to work. And it's not just like it's Monday morning and I don't really feel like, like getting up, but it's more like this. Oh, mm-hmm. I have to go where I'm not respected and I have to put on a happy face and that discontinuity between what I need to do to be effective with my customer student and how I'm feeling about it. When there's a large gap there, mm-hmm. it's really hard to keep that up. And I think yeah. that's kind of what happened um, with the great resignation is yes. there was just too much dissonance, mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance. And I think people just went snap. Mm-hmm. I'm out of here. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. I feel like this is a great opportunity for growth for, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the question is, will we really seize this opportunity? So thank you so much, Dr. Natalie, for, for sharing your wisdom and insight with us. This has been wonderful. And tell us where we can find you. So I'm on Twitter at DR Natalie. Um, my website is Dr. Natalie news. Uh, you can find the book at empathy and action book.com. Uh, the books on Amazon, if, if you're interested, um, and you know, I post on LinkedIn, I post on Twitter, join the conversation, follow you. Cause I can completely get that. You get this conversation and <laughs> you're going to be one of those people. Like I, I see the light, right? I see the light <laughs> in your eyes and like all the, like, it's just like, wow, yeah. you know, this is really, and what, I, what I would have to say is, is you, sometimes you get lucky. Right. And I feel like I got lucky about having this insight. And so I just feel really honored that you invited me on the show to share it. Oh, thank you. I feel honored to have had this conversation. This is wonderful. And uh, we're going to say goodbye to our audience. I'm going to chat with you just for a moment, uh, Dr. Natalie. But thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Bookish. And I look forward to next week when I talk to another fabulous guest. Bye-bye. And I just lost the screen. Where are we? Okay.